You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. So if you're here and you're a parent, why don't you just for a moment just stand up? And if you're here and you have some sort of influence on kids, a child, a teen, whatever, stand with the parents. That's a lot of us. And uh, when dealing with kids, if you've never made a mistake, so you're mistake-free, you can keep standing. But if you're like me and you've made mistakes, you can join me in sitting down. <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> we're all imperfect people. So we have to realize we're on level ground. None of us are standing. I'm standing for a moment, but <laughs> not because I'm the perfect parent. Um, we're all trying to figure this parenting thing or this kid thing out. It's just one of those, those things. And I do have some very sad news to share with you all. You're never going to reach perfection. You'll never get it all figured out. You'll be just like the rest of us, sitting in our seat, because we'll remain imperfect. And um, you may as well learn early and practice early how to ask your kids for forgiveness, because it'll be the first of many to come. But there is good news. There's always good news, and that is that Jesus is on the throne. He is alive and well. His Holy Spirit is here to teach us and guide us. And uh, he is for us, not against us. And so like Josephine was saying, we don't have to be qualified. He is qualified. And that is amazing. Now, I'll never forget my firstborn. You know, you're, everything's just happening and things aren't the way you expected them to go. And I was in my living room, holding her in my arms. She was about two weeks old at the time, and I was just looking down at her. And uh, I just was thinking about the task ahead of, of raising this child. And I was wondering, like, what is she going to be like as a teenager? I know, it's strange, strange uh, thought as, um, as she's uh, just this baby, right? But I had been, been working with, um, with youth. I was a junior, senior high school teacher, and I saw some stuff with kids. Um, my husband and I had taken in a 16-year-old for a year and a half, and uh, she opened our eyes to a, a lot of things. She had a lot of baggage in her life. It was a challenging time. Um, and also, my husband and I, Kurt, had been involved in, in helping at, and then running a church youth group. And so we had a lot of experience and a lot of exposure to Christian and non-Christian kids. Um, and as I was holding her, it's hard to explain the moment, but uh, my heart was burdened, I guess, and I just felt overwhelmed and incompetent and weak. And uh, I just looked down at her and I was just, Lord, like, how do I raise this kid to love you and serve you with all her heart. 
I know I can't force her to choose you. That is a self-choice because, unfortunately, when our kids are born, they're born with free will. We can't force them to choose him. And I'd seen kids walk in the faith of their parents, yet have no faith of their own. And in their teenage years, Christian parents pulling out their hair, wondering what to do with their children. Or when they left home, thinking they, had, they were prepared, and then they left home, and the child was just quickly gone off to other stuff. And um, I knew I wanted my kids to love and serve him every day of their lives, not to walk away and come back, but every day. And I felt really helpless at that time. And, um, and I didn't even know God that well myself yet, so it, so much was a mystery to me. But I knew that I loved him, and I knew that I wanted my kids to love him. So I could say the lights flickered and an audible voice came, and no, nothing like that happened. <laughs> but I just knew that I knew that Holy Spirit was with me right then and there. And uh, he was going to guide and teach me through the challenges and, and how to... How, I mean, it's one thing to parent in the physical, but there's a whole other challenge again when the spiritual is part of that. So, and that's what happened. He started to show us exactly how to raise both our kids using his ways. Um, and I didn't know it at the time, because I didn't have words for any of this stuff, but he was teaching us how to parent our kids to the heart. Now, like I said before, I worked with a lot of teenagers, and I saw a lot of insecurities, lots of loneliness, fear, and I knew what I didn't want for my kids. Um, but as time went on, Holy Spirit began to give me a picture of the qualities that I would want in my kids. Rather than focusing on what to avoid, he gave me a picture of what to work towards. And that even works for our own personal lives. When we're having struggles in our lives, we have to ask God for that vision, for the picture of what we're working towards so that we can actually work towards that. Trying to avoid stuff, our focus is on what to avoid, we end up doing what we want to avoid. So our focus has to be on where we want to go. And I just encourage each one of you to prayerfully ask the Lord, like, what do you have for my child? And I'm not talking about like their job and their, and their future um, schooling or whatever. I'm talking about the character traits. So there's things like, you know, I want my kid to be kind. I want them to be resilient, patient, content, forgiving, hardworking. I want them to be loving. I want them to love God. I want them to love other people, stuff like that. And for me, one of the things that I really knew in my heart that I really wanted my kids to know, and probably because I was struggling in that area still, is to know that Jesus loves them as well as loving others. I knew that that's what I wanted them to have in their lives. So I would, uh, at bedtime or just during the day, uh, I would say to one of my kids, I love you so much. I love you with all the love that I have to give. I couldn't love you more even if I tried. But you know who loves you more? And after all, they knew the answer. Jesus loves you more. And I would say, I don't understand how that's possible, because I love you so much, but I know it's true. 
or I would say, do you love me? <laughs> How much do you love me? And they'd look at me and go, Uh, to the moon and back, or, you know, they try to somehow figure out how, much, how to describe how much they love me. And I'd say, could you love me more if you wanted to? And they'd be like, mm, no, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and um, I would tell them, like, you love me with all the love that you have to give me, your whole being, but Jesus loves me more. Isn't that crazy that you could love me so much and he still loves me more? Or I'd say, hey, who do you love more? Me or your dad? <laughs> and they'd be like, I can't pick. <laughs> I love you both so much. <laughs> and, um, and I'd say, well, just like you love both your dad and me with all your heart, I love each of you with all my heart. Um, I love you, Samantha, with all the love that I have. I love you, Sarah, with all the love that I have. I couldn't love you more. Isn't that neat that, that I could love, have so much love that I can love you with everything and love the next person with everything as well? Like it's a real mystery, this love, right? And love just never runs out. We can give everything to one and then everything to another. And I would say, and Jesus loves us each even more than that. And uh, eventually I'd pick other people, like their grandma or people special in lives, and would do the same thing with that. Or, uh, or then we'd come across, you know, they have a little whatever with, with another child or whatever, and I'd be like, do you think their mom and dad loves them? And they're like, yeah. And I'd be like, I bet you their mom and dad loves them with all the love that they have. Yeah. And I'd be like, but Jesus loves them even more. And I, I honestly didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> It's just looking back that I've kind of begun to realize what some of this stuff did for my kids. But um, I was not just teaching them that they were loved. I was teaching them that other people are loved just as much. And uh, that's at the groundwork for why we should be kind to other people. Why do we treat them with respect? Because they're loved. It's at the groundwork for, te for uh, teaching them to take their feelings, other people's feelings, into consideration. Uh, realize that what we do actually affects the people around us. And it was just one of these things that began to teach them that it wasn't just about them, and they didn't have the right to be so self-centered, because God, even though God loves them with all their, his heart, He loves all those people in their lives or everybody that they come in contact with just as much with all his heart. And so, you know, now how do you bring that into everyday stuff? So, for example, we'd be coming along and maybe my kids were little and unwrapped a candy and dropped the wrapper or we'd see garbage, whatever. And I'd ask them, like, who's responsible to pick up that garbage that you just dropped or that's, that person around us just dropped? And, um, well, the, the janitor has to pick that up. I said, yeah, they do, but is that being respectful to the janitor to just leave garbage lying around? Because the job of the janitor is to keep things clean, not to clean up after you. And are we treating that janitor as someone that God really loves? And you know what, after that, I didn't have to tell them to pick up their garbage and to put it in the garbage can. And, I didn't, and they would go to the garbage can and pick up other garbage along the way 
because they themselves knew that that wasn't loving to that janitor, and they didn't even know who the janitor was, but it wasn't loving to that person to just leave it lying around and leave them to have to bend over over and over to pick up that garbage. And that's what parenting to the heart is. And teaching our kids about love is where it all begins. And the only way to teach it is by reaching their hearts. When, we, when they hear how much their mommy and daddy love them, it touches their heart. But you know what? When they hear how much Jesus loves them, it reaches their heart. And it prepares them to recognize the love of Jesus whenever they encounter it. And he doesn't have to do the big miracle in their life for them to encounter it. It is the foundation to everything else. If you want our kids to be kind, they must know love. If you want them to be patient, they must know love. It's the foundation to it all. And um, it makes sense. The Bible does say God is love. So they need to learn about his love. When we read the Bible with them, and we talk about what we've read, it goes through the God-love filter. And there's times where I'm just reading the Bible and going, I don't get his love in this section. Like, it's just, right? And that's okay. Put your pride aside and say to your kids, okay, I know that God is love, so this is loving, but I don't get how it's loving. I'm not, I don't get that yet. But you know what that sets them up to do? It gives them permission that when they go and start reading the Bible on their own, they don't have this, this false belief that they need to understand everything that they're reading. Because I don't know about you, even today, there's times I read stuff in the Bible and I'm like, I don't get this. I just don't get what God's trying to say. Well, our kids have that even more because they haven't experienced as much but let's give them permission to not have to get it all and just read the Bible and take what they do get. Let Holy Spirit minister them to where they're at. You might look at me and say, well, Cynthia, you're the children's pastor. Hello, you've got this. No, when I had my kids, I was still a fairly new Christian. Honestly, I hardly read the Bible. And when I did read it, I'd get frustrated because it made no sense to me. And I didn't know God very well at all. I was still confused about the whole Trinity thing. That just, just blew my mind. How is God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit one God? That was confusing to me. But you know what I did have? I had this desire for my kids to know who God is. And I put a lot of effort and focus into that. So Jesus became a part of everything in our lives. He became a part of our discipline times. Um, Kurt and I bought books, videos, CDs. This is before Right Now Media, so anything that we wanted, we'd have to purchase to bring it into our house. Um, and they were Christian-based things. So the kids would still get presents from other people, and that took care of the secular aspect of things, but we didn't feel like we wanted to put our money into um, the secular stuff. We wanted to put it towards the Christian stuff. So we would be invested in Adventures and Odyssey. Great audio series. We'd listen to that on the way on long road trips. Our kids still love Adventures and Odyssey. Um, we'd read Jesus stories at bedtime. 
but we'd also still read Sarah's beloved Clifford the Big Red Dog, right, Sarah? And but even Clifford gave us opportunities to talk about God. You know how how did he um, show love, or if he knew God, how would that have changed what happened in that life of that dog and whatever? So the foundation to teaching our kids. Um, about God is to teach them about God's love, and in everything that we do, the foundation is God's love. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 13. But before we read it, and I'm using the uh, New Living Translation, um, I'm going to just summarize chapter 12 quick. Essentially, chapter 12 speaks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that that Holy Spirit gives us, um, and the very last sentence of that chapter ends with, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. So if we go to chapter 13, we can find out what that is. So 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3 says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Without love, there's nothing. That's a really sorry statement. And I don't know about you, but I don't want my kids to be nothing. But if they don't know love, if they don't have love, that's exactly what they are, nothing. So let's find out what love is. When we're teaching our kids love, this is what we're teaching them. And this is what we address with them in their everyday life. Yes, it's the wedding ceremony chapter. (laughs) It's love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. And church, love is not easy. I've, and, and trying to parent your kids through the filter of God's love, that's really challenging, and I have failed many of times. I won't be sharing those stories today, Just ask my kids, and they'll come up with them just like that. (laughs) But I know that love is important in our parenting and just in our everyday interaction. Now, let me just make a quick point here before I move on. Um, Our job is to help our kids to learn to be patient, kind, and so on, and to walk out the definition of love. But if we choose to try to teach this to them through getting angry with them when they fail being harsh with them when they fall short of it, um, or we call them names and belittle them because they're not getting it, or we're rude and unkind to them. Now, first of all, that's not unloving on our part, or that is unloving on our part. But when we parent like that, we're speaking to their hearts. 
and their hearts will quickly realize that they'll never be good enough, they'll never please us, and they won't learn to walk in love, but instead they'll learn to walk in bitterness and resentment, and that is not what we're trying to teach them. We're trying to teach them how to love. So when we want our kids to walk in love, and this is where the parenting challenge really comes in, is we need to be firm with them, not harsh. And in the parenting seminar that's coming up, they do address that, how, what the difference is and all that. So we need to be firm with them, but we also need to affirm them. We need to correct them, because we can't just let them run around doing crazy things that, that are unkind and unloving and think it's okay. But we still also need to praise them. And really, praising is one of those things that we tend to forget. The Bible really refers to it as blessing. One of the ways that we can bless people is to praise them. In myself, and I know in a lot of adults, we can get 10 praises, but that one criticism just kind of like, ah. So why would our kids be any different? Our kids need to hear those praises as well. It gives them an encouragement to do those things that are right and to know those things that are right to do. And of course, we need to evaluate ourselves. That's the not-so-fun part. How are we walking out this, this love? How are we doing? Where do we fall short? And the great thing is that the Holy Spirit is here to help us become that as well. There's healing ministries that we can go to. I know Elaine does a, um, what's it called, um, soul care in the fall. That is a great course to go to, to work on your inner healing and let God um, speak to those areas where you've failed or where you've got misbeliefs or whatever. I also had to humble myself with my kids and apologize to them when I was being unkind or when I was not being patient. And but I would also turn to my kids at times and be like, man, I don't know how you do that. Like, that person was not nice to you. How did you still have that self-control to turn to them and be nice to them and be kind to them? I know myself, that is not one of my things that, that I've learned yet. God is still working on me in that area. And I'd say to them, man, I want to be more like you. I want to be more like you. Can you pray for me to be more like you in that area? And that makes them feel like, oh, mom's not perfect either. <laughs> they already knew that. <laughs> and as I was preparing for this sermon, I was just reflecting over all the years, just a whole lot of stuff just started flooding back to me as to different experiences that I'd had with my kids. And, and uh, the words came to mind, just out of nowhere, Holy Spirit, faith, hope, love. <laughs> and... Uh, I was like, wait a minute, that's in the Bible. <laughs> I had to look it up. And there it was, right there in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? It says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Again, I can't say it enough, and I'm going to say it several times. Love is the foundation of everything else. We can't have faith in our Savior or place our hope in Him if we don't know about His love. And when we have experiences that require us to have faith and hope in Him, 
he teaches us more about the depth of his love. You can't have one without the other, but it always comes back to love. When we mainly parent through behavior modification, we teach our kids how to behave without walking in love. But when we parent to the heart, our kids begin to behave because they love. I hope you're, I hope you're catching the difference there. So here's an example. Two weeks ago, I was, uh, came across this free online parenting webinar, which I've always just kind of like, uh, whatever. But I thought, you know, it's coming up to the parenting conference. I want to I see what they have to say. So I signed up for their one-hour free session and uh, had no idea what they were going to be saying. But I was there on time, and it was all about learning how to get your kids to listen without having to yell at them anymore. Sounds great, because who here hasn't yelled at their kids? And some of us yell more than others, right? So long story made short, we would identify an area where my kids were not being obedient. So they gave the example, the popular example, the kids are not getting off their technology when I tell them to. They're not listening to me. I have to yell at them to finally get them to put their technology away. So this was the short version of the solution. Have a chat with them so they know what's going to happen. And what's going to happen from now on is if they don't get off within five minutes of being told to get off, they lose their technology for a week. Well, hear me, church. This will work. Your kids will start to listen to you, and you won't have to yell at them because they don't want to lose their technology for a week. But what's going to happen when I'm not there to, to police it? They go to a friend's house, their grandparents' house, their other parents' house, and this method is not enforced. And most kids are not going to self-police that. Oh, my mom would be home telling me to get off my technology right now. Well, summon time for five minutes and get off in five minutes. Like, that's not going to happen. They're like, oh, mom's not here to say to get off my technology. There's no internal motivation for them other than that they don't want to lose their technology. That's the only reason they're going to listen to you. And I'm not saying you never lose consequences. I mean, God uses consequences in our lives. Um, but when we parent to the heart, those consequences are used in a way to put the responsibility back on the child so they're internally motivated to make those right decisions. And I don't need to be there to be the police anymore. You know how many of us, well, at least for me, I shouldn't speak for anybody else, I had this idea growing up, God was sitting there with a whip in heaven waiting for me to mess up and get me whenever I messed up. That's what behavior modification is. It's that whip, because he has to police us to get us to behave. Mom or dad has to police the kids to get them to behave. That's not who God is, and that's not who he intended us parents to be. We need to teach our kids to be internally motivated to behave. And um, the parenting seminar, again, I know they address the consequences thing because it's such, such a huge parenting strategy out there. It's not that they don't use consequences, but they fine-tune it so that it actually works to internally motivate your child. Um, 
So after that, I kept getting these emails from them, of course, encouraging me to buy their stuff to to learn all their other strategies. And um, then one of the emails that I got, um, I, I quickly just looked at it, and it was a parenting tip. So I thought, hoo-hoo, free tip. I'll take it. So this was their, their point. How do you stop your kids from fighting in the back of the car as you're driving down the highway at 100 kilometers an hour? So they're fighting back there. This is the solution. I'll read it to you. One night over dinner, or sometime when everyone is calm, let your kids know it's time for a change. This no longer acceptable. The conversation in your best, calm, cool, friendly voice can go something like this. Hey, kids, remember this afternoon on the way home from school when you guys were yelling and picking on each other in the car? When you guys do that, I find it hard to concentrate on my driving, and that makes it dangerous for all of us. So I've decided I'm not going to allow us to be in that scary situation anymore. From now on, when I hear fighting, I'm going to pull over to the side of the road, and I'll wait until you're done with your argument. When you're done fighting and I hear quiet, then we'll continue on. And then it goes on to say, well, now you've got to be ready to implement that. You may need to phone their coaches or their school to say, hey, we might be late for the next couple days or whatever. And then when they start fighting, you just say nothing. You pull over, you just quietly sit there, take out a book, ignore them, read, and go, ah, they finally quit and go on to the event or wherever they're going. Again, guys, this works. I will tell you this will work. It's a quick, fast solution to getting your kids to do what you want them to do. But <laughs> what happens when the kids are playing in the basement together? Can't just pull over until they quit fighting. Or they're in the backyard where you're not even there to police their behavior. Or they're off to the playground together. And they're beating each other without even knowing it. Or the one, the, the one sibling starts really essentially bullying the other sibling into submission to do what that sibling should be doing. It never talks about that God loves both the kids equally. Or in those three, God loves all three of them equally. The girl with her big, bah! He loves them as much as the boy that looks bewildered as to what's going on here. He loves them equally. All the kids are his favorite. Both my kids are his favorite. And it doesn't address that the kids aren't even showing respect to each other. They're being rude and selfish. They don't care about how their actions affect the other person. All this stuff that's the basis of love and, and getting peace in your home. And then, as parents, we go, well, why shouldn't we? F you know, it's normal for kids to fight. Isn't that what siblings do? No. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That's where that lie comes from. And sadly, as parents, we, we just walk in believing it because we don't know what to do to solve it, right? And there's times, I mean, my kids, they're angels, but no. <laughs> you may think that. But there's been times, especially when they were younger, that the fight, you know, would come about, and I'd be looking at them going like, what do you do with this? How do you get these kids to just be nice to each other? And, 
and we, I deal with it however I kind of felt the Holy Spirit leading at that moment or however I felt like doing it or whatever. And um, looking back now, it always kind of came back to the conversation of love and how we treat those we love. And I'd be like, do you love your sister? Yeah. Well, the way you're treating her does not show that at all. And I remember saying to them, I, I kind of read them my sermon ahead of time, and they were like, I remember that. You know, I don't appreciate you talking to my daughter that way. Because <laughs> I have to understand, you know, you're my daughter, but so is this other one. And I love them both so much that I don't appreciate you talking to my daughter, whom I love so much. I will stand up for her, just as I'll stand up for you. Um, now, there may be a time where it's necessary to pull over on the side of the road. I'm not saying that's never a strategy to use. Picked up one of Sarah's little friends. They were still in their car seats, barreling down the highway, going 100 kilometers an hour. And I realized that her friend had unbuckled herself. And I was like, uh-uh, not in my vehicle. So I pulled over to the side of the road, and I looked at her and says, you can't be doing that. Like, buckle yourself up. Well, she refused. I'm like, this isn't even my kid. What do you do, right? So I was like, okay, fine. We're going to sit here until you've buckled yourself up and then we'll get on with a play date. But until that time, no play date. Well, she was very, a very strong-willed child, but after a couple minutes, she was like, oh. <laughs> she did it, so it was safe again. Um, now, while I'm on the topic of lies that we believe, let me just put one out there that, uh, that's extremely common. We can expect our teenagers to be rebellious. We've all heard of the terrible twos and the rebellious teen years. We've all heard those two expressions, but no, neither one is true. It just sets us up to not deal with the issues that come up when that two-year-old is starting to explore the world. And you know what's more difficult than, than disciplining your toddler? Disciplining your teenager. Yeah. It was a lot easier for me to say no to my kids when they were just little two, three-year-olds than it is now. Because I know now when they ask for something, they really actually want it. It's a lot harder. So it's really important that we learn how to parent to the heart when they're those little kids. They, they have their temper tantrums, but they get back under control. If you guys watched the Like Arrows movie, what happened when that teenage girl had her temper tantrum? Yelling at the parents, slamming the door, leave me alone. That's awful. It's much easier for my kid to just watch my kid rolling around on the floor crying. I'm going, seriously, like, this isn't even a big deal. What are you doing? <laughs> right? So do it while they're young. But I know that when they're young, it's hard. We're exhausted. We're at the end of ourselves. We don't know what to do. And it's just like overwhelming at times. We have places to go, and they're not helping us get there on time. Hey, Samantha? <laughs> Never. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I know teenagers who are walking out that love, even boy teenagers who are doing it. And we are very blessed to have a group of those in our church that are helping in that kid's ministry week after week because they're sharing the love that they have for God. They're not perfect. It's always easy to find things that they're falling short on or areas where they're maybe not walking completely in God's love or whatever. 
but they're walking out their walk as best as they know how as they're learning more and more about God. And they're loving your kids as they're doing it. Um, now, behavior modification, unfortunately, it doesn't set, up, set us up to succeed, especially in the teen years. It works when they're little, and we can pick them up and do what we need to do with them. But try picking up your 16 or 17-year-old and make them do it. It's not going to happen. They're going to fight back. And sadly, when they hit those teenage years, we're no longer their perfect heroes. This is especially hard, I think, for dads, too, because they've always kind of been the hero, the strong man of the house. And then our kids turn into teenagers, and they look at you, and they begin to see areas where you have faults, moms and dads alike. And not only do they see our faults, they'll happily tell us what our faults are. And that is so frustrating, because it's like, seriously? Trying to do something here, and it hurts my feelings when you say that. And I mean, I'll have a discussion and say, like, okay, you could say that maybe in a nicer way, but I'll have to pray about that to see if that's even right. And then they don't just take our rules because we made them. And that's what happens with the, that um, behavior modification. When we say, if you don't get off the video equipment in five minutes, it's going to be taken away, they're like, okay, no problem. I'll just sneak it in my room and do it in there. Because teenagers know how to get away with stuff. They know exactly what to do. And they'll play that little game with you. Fine, I'll get off of it, but it's not going to be gone for a week because I'm going to find a way to get it back sooner. They now have a lot of words to, to convince us otherwise. So when we're parenting to the heart, don't, don't get me wrong here. We still have rules. They're important. We still have consequences. We still parent their misbehaviors. But we learn to address those things by parenting to the heart. And that's why building that foundation of God's love becomes so important, because out of that foundation comes faith and hope. Now, I remember when Samantha was in kindergarten, the school had the ever-famous tire swing that all the kids wanted to play play on in the playground, because it's so fun. And one day after school, she told me that uh, the older kids were not letting her and her friend use the tire swing. How dare they, right? I just wanted to march myself into that school and say, do you know what's going on in that playground? Those big kids won't let my kid and her friend play on the tire swing. They're being bullies. Thankfully, I uh, thought, had a second thought, and I didn't do that. And so instead, I suggested, let's talk to Jesus about this and see what he wanted to do. I said, well, do you want to walk to the tire swing? It was after school, nobody there anymore. Do you want to go and pray at the tire swing? My mom, Sam's like, no, it's good. I'm like, okay, well, do you want to pray right now? No, it's good. I'll, I'll take care of it. I'm like, okay, what do you do as a parent? Do you trust your child to pray to Jesus to take care of this? I don't know. But I'm like, okay, Whatever. So the next day when I picked her up at school, I was like just on the edge of my seat, right? The whole way I'm driving to school to pick her up. So, did you pray? <laughs> She's like, yeah. And <laughs> what did Jesus say? She's like, oh, he just said, don't play the tire swing for a week. Go do something else. So my friend and I went and played somewhere else, and in one week we'll go back. I'm like, oh, that wouldn't have been my thought, but okay, that's what he said. And then you have that internal conversation with Jesus, and you say, oh, Jesus, you better 
have fixed that problem in a week, because that's what you told her to do, that you were going to take care of this in a week? This had better be taken care of in a week, because, you know, I want her to have faith in you, and as a parent, you get all these insecurities, right? Well, a week goes by, I pick her up from school, and I'm like, so, did you try and play the tire swing today? Oh, yeah. And how did it go? It's like, come on, just give me the information already. And she's like, oh, yeah, the, the older kids were gone. They're moved on to something else now, so we just played on tire swing the whole time and had a great time. I was like, well, that was simple. <laughs> huh, that was great. Jesus took care of it. Now, that's just a quick, simple example, but I had to trust God to take care of my child, and that's really hard to do. And for something so simple, it was hard to give her over to God. But had I gone into that school and taken care of that problem myself, my daughter, as well as myself, would have been cheated out of the experience of trusting Jesus. She wouldn't have the experience of what it means to place your faith in, in, in Christ. And what would have happened instead is I would have taken the place of God in her life. I would have become her God. That's not what we want to do. You know, when we give our kids opportunities to build their faith with small problems so that when they are big and face big problems, they can handle the faith or they can handle them through faith. I'll just read that one more time. Give our kids opportunities to build their faith with small problems so when they're big and they face big problems, they can handle them through faith. When they're little, let's give them those opportunities. Let's make Jesus real in their life. And uh, as our kids learn to receive God's love and in turn then are able to love others, we also need to touch or teach them about having faith and hope in Christ. But that is where parenting becomes so heart-wrenching. And I've learned that as parents, we don't always want what we say we want. We say we want our kids to love God, to walk in his ways, to trust him and serve him. And then when an opportunity comes up where they need to have faith and hope in Christ to get through the hardship, we step in and be God for them because we don't like our kids to go through hardships. And we take the place of God for them because it's so hard to watch your kid go through stuff, right? The Bible tells us in John 16:33, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I have found it so difficult to watch my kids go through trials and sorrows, and they've gone through a number of them. And it's hard to know when to step in and when not to step in. Now, I remember when Sarah was in grade two, one night I was tucking her in and she started crying, and I was like, what's happening? What's going on? Well, I found out that her little best friend was not being kind to her. This new girl had moved in. Her friend and this new girl were becoming good friends. And uh, they wouldn't let her play with them. When Sarah would go up to them and say, can I play with you guys? They would run away. 
no and run away or whatever. But they'd run away and she'd be lifting there going like, oh, well, now what do I do, right? Like it's, or when they would let her play with them, it wouldn't last and they'd eventually run away and just leave her standing there by herself. So over time, I discovered that this new girl was quite manipulative, great too, okay? This little girl was really manipulative and she was slowly, one by one, turning the other girls against Sarah. And Sarah was just like devastated. And there was a lot of tears and a lot of prayer time. And I just informally talked to the teacher to kind of feel if she was seeing this or whatever. And yes, she had noticed it and she was trying to deal with it as best as she knew how, but she wasn't really quite sure how to deal with this, this little girl. And so we had, Kurt and I had to make a choice. Do we, do we phone the parents and say, do you know what your kid's doing? But I'd, I'd seen parents who did that, and it never worked out well, because we cannot force kids to play with our kids. I would love to have forced those kids to play with my daughter, because I think she's pretty fun, but those kids obviously felt no need to play with her. And so Kurt and I finally said, you know what? Why don't you go play with the boys? You like soccer. They're always playing soccer. Go play soccer with the boys. And that was really good because Sarah had a really good experience playing with the boys. Got out of all the girl drama and just had a nice time making friends with the, with the boys in her class. And she did that all the way through elementary school. And uh, that's what her recesses were like. Now... As a parent, that's really heartbreaking, though, to watch your kid go through that. And uh, I know we spent time praying with Sarah, asking Jesus questions and allowing Holy Spirit to speak to her heart, and just talking more about how Jesus saw her, that she's his princess, she's his beloved, she's the apple of his eye. And I don't even remember everything that we did, but by the end of the year, they moved away. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> And grade three was much better. And Sarah told me at the end of grade two, you know, she's little. <laughs> she tells me that if she had to do it all over again, she would, because she felt so close to Jesus and felt his presence so intimately that she wouldn't want to lose that experience over having a, an easier year. And I thought, wow, grade two, and you can already figure that out? That's just amazing. And at church, um, at that time, Samantha was five years old, and uh, our children's ministry was divided into six months to age two, ages three to five, and six to twelve. So Samantha was in the three to five group, and uh, she was a mature uh, one in her group, and so she was getting bored with the lessons, as they're not teaching her much of anything, she felt, you know, she wasn't getting fed. So her teacher gave her the opportunity to move to the age 6 to 12 group early. Because, you know, she was so mature. I didn't mean to touch my computer there. <laughs> she was so mature, but I found a definition of maturity that was exactly spot on. Mature equals when we can begin to put others ahead of ourselves. Sam was not mature. She was just well-behaved. And you know, much to Samantha's dismay, her dad and I said, no, she's going to stay in the three, three to five group. That's, that's her age, 
that's where she will stay. And so we discussed with her that Sunday school wasn't just about being fed. It was about Jesus. And one of the things that Jesus expects from us is to also serve him. We are not to be selfish and just take, 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 take. We need to also serve him. So we discussed with her how she could do that in this classroom. I mean, she's like five years old. Like, what is she going to do, right? Well, we said you can pray for the other kids. Be an intercessory prayer in there during the service, during the Sunday school. You can intercede for the kids. You can intercede for the teacher. If you're sitting by some kids, you can help them with whatever it is that they have to do, like a little craft or whatever. You can help them with that stuff. You can become a little helper to those kids. Now, was she very happy about having to stay in the three to fives? And no, <laughs> she was rather disappointed because, you know, she was so mature. But she understood the reason behind it. And Samantha still remembers that experience today and how that marked the beginning of her heart to serve. And I see it as a time that she actually began to grow in maturity. She actually began to see that others were important. And over the years, looking back, there's probably been times I didn't step in soon enough when my kids had a hard time or stepped in too soon. And I still haven't figured it all out. Um, but what I do know is that we need to include Holy Spirit during those times. We need to bring him into those trials and sorrows. And then we need to follow what he's suggesting. The biggest hindrance that I have found in my life is the times that I have felt sorry for my kids. When I feel sorry for my kids, my emotions really get involved too much so that I can't even hear clearly from the Holy Spirit. Now, we can and we should have empathy when our kids are going through stuff, but we can't feel sorry for them. I still catch myself feeling sorry for my kids in those times, but I really try not to. When we feel sorry for our kids, they become victims in our eyes, which then become, they become victims in their own eyes. But the Bible says we're overcomers. So how does that work, right? So with empathy, we cry with them when they cry. And Sarah was telling me the story of her, of her little girls being rude to her. I just took her in my arms, and I was just like, oh, Lord, what do I do about this? Like, I feel this is heart-wrenching. We hug them, and we show that we care, but we don't stay there. That's what feeling sorry for your kid is. We stay in that victim mode. Instead, we pray with them. We focus on who they are in Christ. We remind them that with Christ, there's always hope. We ask Jesus to speak to their hearts through the Holy Spirit. And we encourage them, be nice back. Don't give them a reason to be unkind. They're being unkind, be nice back. I know I couldn't do it, but my kids are really good at that. <laughs> and so on. And we pray with them some more. You know, the next time your, your child is left out of something, like not invited to a birthday party, that's the typical young, when they're little. Remember John 16, 33. And ask Holy Spirit how to handle it. Really work on getting your emotions out of it and focus on helping your child to become an overcomer in this trial. The sooner they learn, the better it is for them to learn how to do that. Or when they feel nervous about something, come alongside and encourage them and help them to, to do it anyway, because that's how they face fear and overcome fear. I mean, like Tom said, it's not easy to come up in front of the church and speak when the earthquake is happening. 
but you've got to do it anyway because you know that Jesus is here with you doing it. So we can teach them how to overcome these challenges with the Savior who is alive and ready and able to help. Show empathy, but still encourage them to overcome it. And again, I know that this is something that the, that the seminar will address and the course that we follow does address that. Now, parenting is difficult and it's exhausting. We feel the pressure to be these perfect parents. And maybe that was just me, but, you know, Josephine reminded us this morning, <laughs> it's not going to happen. We're not going to be perfect. Most of us aren't even qualified to be parents, given the past that we've come from. But he doesn't call the qualified. The qualified are called. Or is that how he said that? Did I just... He qualifies the called. I was like, I was just going to say, wait, that wasn't right. He qualifies the called. We'll mess up, but if we teach our kids how to love, they'll actually forgive us for those mess-ups. You know, there's a bit of a selfish motive here as well. Turn them to Christ in all that they do. Include them in your family times, your discipline times, your holiday times, your work times, their school times. He is a part of everything. That's making him the center of your life. You don't just leave him at home sitting on the shelf. One of the scariest conversations that I've had, and I've had it several times with my kids, was when we would talk about the fact that it was their choice whether they would follow Jesus or not. And I'd be like, but we, you know, your dad and I, of course, hope that you make that choice to follow him, but we can never make you. It's, all, it's completely your choice. And, uh, of course, we hope that they would love and serve him, but we would support them no matter what. We would still love them no matter what they would choose. But understand this, if you choose not to follow him, as a family, we go to church. You will still become the church when you're part of this family. And I'm still going to talk about Jesus and what he's doing in my life and how he can help your life. Don't ask me to stop talking about Jesus because that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, but it's really scary to allow them that free will. But it's necessary because I've seen so many Christian youth walk in the faith of their parents never make that choice for themselves, and then they leave home, and, we dis and they discover they had no foundation. They don't even know who Jesus is, and they have no reason to even want to follow him. And that's heartbreaking to us parents, because we want them to love him just as much as we love him. Now, some of you may be sitting here, and you're going like, oh my goodness, how do I do this? This, I can never do this. <laughs> I know how it feels when I was holding that two-week-old baby. That's exactly how I felt, where it's like, I don't know, Lord. I don't know if I can actually do this. But do what, what Kurt and I did. Get advice from parents that you want to be like. You see good parents. Put your pride aside and say, how do I do this? Go to seminars. Attend inner healing ministries. Read books. Get, do whatever it takes for you to learn how to do this. And of course, always turn to Holy Spirit and ask for his advice. He's the direct line 24-7. And most of, a lot of the stuff that you're hearing me talk about is directly from Holy Spirit because there was very few books who addressed this. And you know, everybody here can do that. And the reason I know that is because on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. He is alive. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He sent his Holy Spirit to help us. 
He's with you, and he won't forsake you. You can do this no matter what age your children even are. It's never too late, because he's a God of love. Now, if we can give them the love of Christ, the faith to walk out that love, and the hope that is in him so they never walk in hopelessness, we are giving our kids, or other people's kids, or kids that we influence, the biggest gift that we can ever give them, and money could never buy it. It's scary because those who follow Jesus will be persecuted. So as we have dreams for our kids, to have the big house, the perfect family, the perfect everything, that may not be the dream that they're going to walk out. Because if they're called to go to some country where they could be imprisoned or even killed for their love for Christ, that could be our kids' future. And that's where it comes back to we don't always want what we say we want. We say we want our kids to follow Jesus, but do we really want them to even go to a place where they could be in danger? What do we really want for our kids? Because if we want them to follow Jesus, all that persecution stuff is a part of it, whether we like it or not. But the Bible tells us three things that will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I just really encourage you guys to, to take in that seminar that's coming up. Um, I know I took lots of courses through them that have been really helpful. The Like Arrows movie, it's, it's a great movie to just get motivated again, to say, like, I can do this. If they can do it, I can do this type thing. We're offering a course, Elaine and I, after the seminar, where you can come and work out the stuff and implement it for eight weeks. Uh, you can go to biblicalparenting.org and check them out and see what they're all about. They have lots of free stuff available that you can, you can go to. They have free email tips. You know the parenting handouts that I hand out at times? That's where they come from. But uh, I just really hope that each of you here who are parents, who are going to be parents, who have influence on other kids, that you're not leaving discouraged, but that you, but you can see that because God is real, he is going to help us do this. And our kids are worth the exhaustion and the frustrations and the challenges that we face. And it's not easy, but that's why we have a church community to get together. Mops, great place to get support. Women's ministries, great place. Men's ministries, great place to get that support and go, how do we do this anyway, right? So if you're here and you're feeling overwhelmed, or you're kind of feeling like, I don't know if I can do this, come up for prayer. We'd be happy to pray with you. And remember, for me, that's where it started, me just going to God like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this, and I have no idea what I'm doing. So if you need that prayer, feel free to come up. We'll happily pray with you, bless you. I know that you guys can do this. I'm still figuring stuff out as are all of us, and I just encourage you to, uh, to take that breath of Holy Spirit again and say, okay, with Holy Spirit, we can do all things because he's with us. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. 
Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.